0: Welcome to Big Data Small Talk, where we take the vast and complex world of data and break it down to bit-sized accessible conversations. Each episode is featured by leaders in the fields of data science, AI, or data engineering as we explore the latest trends, challenges, and opportunities around data. Grab a cup of coffee and let's get started. It is a great pleasure to be here with you guys for another Big Data Small Talk. I am Sabrina, your usual host and developer advocate at Chicouto. And honestly, today we have an incredible combination of like speakers and topic. And honestly, I'm quite proud of it because these are definitely the people to go to when looking for advice on MLOps. And the topic is what is MLOPs and why do we need it and how to get started with it. Of course, this is a very important topic especially if you're building machine learning products and never expect them to see the light of day. But before we get started and dive deeper into it, let's just do some quick intros. So everyone, so yeah, this space is brought to you by ShakuDo. ShakuDo is a data data platform made to abstract away all complexity of working with data. And in the past, working with data required a lot of technical know-how, but with a data platform like ShakuDo, things are a bit different. So the platform does a lot of the heavy lifting for you, allowing non-technical people to also gain insights from like data models or data analysis without having to know all the technical details behind it and even abstracting away a lot of the inmalops behind it. So if you're interested in learning more about Shakuto, go to that that website, shakuto.io, and learn a bit more about it. And now, okay, let's go over to the speakers. And yeah, as I said, I, we have amazing people here with us today. And if you're into MLOps, make sure to follow everyone here. And Miki, I know you've been here with us a couple of times now, and thank you so much. It's always such a pleasure. And would you like to do a quick intro to yourself for those who might not know you yet and
1: want to get started? Hey everyone, so my name is Mickey. I am head of MLOps for a company called FeatureForm. We are a virtual feature store company. So essentially we, you know, we create a feature store that you can run on your infrastructure, pip install it. Yeah. And basically you can use it kind of like almost out of the box. Let's see. So before I became head of MLOps at FeatureForm, I worked on the ML platform team at Mailchimp. I've also worked as a data scientist a data analyst, self-taught and also did a camp. So, that was a few years, few years ago. So, yeah, but it's nice to meet you all.
0: Yeah, Miki, you have a very interesting career towards the Ops, and we're going to talk a bit more about it. Thank you so much for being here again. Next, we can go to Ayrton. You're a Brazilian, just like me, right? So, would you like to do a quick intro of yourself and what you do
2: for everyone? Oh, Hi, all. My name is Ayrton. I'm currently a Chief Data Officer at Lambda 3. Lambda 3 is a Brazilian IT consultancy company specialized in tailor-made software development, as well as data science and engineering. I am also most recently a PhD in AI, as well, Microsoft MVP in AI. And I also teach classes on machine learning and Python programming at FIAP. I've worked as a data scientist since 2008. And, well, it's a pleasure to be here with you and to share some of my knowledge about MLOps.
0: Thank you so much. You can see like we're not playing around here. These people are amazing. And it's the first time of Arichton here on Big Data Small Talk, and also Fatos. Thank you so much for agreeing to be here Fatos. Would you like to do a quick intro to everyone?
3: Yeah, sure, thank you. Thank you, Sabrina, for the for the invitation. Glad to be among such great speakers and glad to be among everyone else here. Thank you for, for joining this session. So my name is Fatos. I am a senior cloud, cloud, cloud solution architect at Microsoft based out of London, UK. I focus primarily within the AI and ML tech stack within Azure, and I help large organizations and enterprises well, that is financial services, companies, telcos, public sector companies, media, retail, to adopt AI and ML and more specifically around machine learning operationalization, MLOps, which is the topic that we're discussing today. So that's me.
0: Yeah, that's great. Thank you for being here. And we can get started right into the questions. I have amazing questions for you guys about MLOps and everything in between. And I want to kick this off with like some personal level questions so we can get to know each other a bit better. So first, I'd like to know from you guys, how exactly did you get involved with MLOps? Like, when did you realize that this is something that interests you and why? And like, when did you realize this is something you you wanted to take as a career? So feel free to, if you'd like to answer the question, feel free to just use the raise hand emoji and I'll pass it over to you
1: so you can speak. OK, Nikki, over to you. So I feel like every like MLOps engineer or platform engineer was either a DevOps person that kind of accidentally got pulled into like a machine learning project or to help out with like a machine learning platform because the existing team maybe didn't have quite the skill set to do everything. Or they were a former data scientist trying to get their first model or Jupyter notebook into production. And I kind of feel like that's like the cornerstone cornerstone for everyone's like origin story. And and that was true for me. I was working at Teladoc as a data scientist and I'd created, you know, I was working with the marketing team. We are, or Teladoc is at that time, the, co- the startup that they had acquired that I was at. Lavongo was a digital health company focused on chronic conditions, so IoT data for The glucose measures for diabetes. And part of the services was we would send out an email campaign or emails that had kind of behavioral advice. So, for example, you know, if you entered the diabetes program or if you entered the hypertension program, we would like send you, you know, here's like changes you can make to your diet or whatever. Right. So, essentially, like one of my projects was to figure out which, you know, which of our we didn't call them patients; we called them users. But Essentially, which of our users were going to like sign up with us, and which ones weren't, so that we could ensure that we appropriately, you know, followed up with the people who weren't able to sign up through their company's insurance co- insurance plan. So I did all this work in a Jupyter notebook. I had just kind of made the official pivot to data science. I'd gone out of the boot camp, and I was like so proud of myself for doing the analysis. But then, you know, there came a question of they're like, okay, this is great, but like, how do we actually put it into production? And then at that time, the only team that like had engineering resources to to put stuff into production was working on an experimentation platform, you know, to do some more significant testing beyond A/B testing for a bunch of the platform and product features. So as like someone who was working on internal like business modeling. I basically didn't have any engineering resources to actually like get those models into production. So that was kind of my entryway was going, Oh, this is actually like a very big problem space and I'm not having the reason I'm not getting the resources to actually work on it myself. And it's also a very like valuable bottleneck. And so I was like, okay, well what I'm going to do is I'm going to self-study, like make the pivot, work on some startups on nights and weekends to kind of get that build experience. And then eventually like I made my, like full full pivot over to Mailchimp platform team to work on like the platform for their data scientists.
0: Nice, this is a very nice story, Mickey, and it it is very interesting how you just decided this is going to be the path for you. Also, we can pass it over to maybe Fato. Would you like to talk a bit? Yeah, sure. You? Yeah. Absolutely, thank you, and
3: thanks for that intro, Mickey. I think I would just want to maybe level set a little bit for some of the people here on the call that maybe completely new to MLOps, and I just wanted to maybe give a brief definition of what that is and what we're talking about here. I think from my perspective, and other speakers can chime in as well at some point, MLOps is a variant of DevOps. So if you if you come from a development background or software engineering background, you may have heard the term DevOps being used and being thrown around a lot. So MLOps is a variant of that, which basically applies to the machine learning lifecycle, so the end-to-end lifecycle of machine learning models. And when we talk about MLOps, we usually refer, and we say the life cycle of machine learning, we mean the life cycle of the machine learning artifacts, such as the code, the data that you use to train an ML model, and the model itself, which is can be a serialized object. How do you take that from, you know, exploratory phase to, to a production state environment and deploy that at a scale for your use case, and then also scale that across your organization for multiple use cases? And, this, and my role at Microsoft is primarily that, where I sit between in the intersection of, you know, trialing some AI and some cool AI and ML model projects that customers always come come with for their particular use case, regardless of industry that they come from. And then the next question, and this is always the case, is how do I take this experimental project, AI, data science, whatever it is, into into production? And this is where we start talking about machine learning lifecycle management, MLOPS practices. How to, how to ensure reproducibility of training experiments, how to manage endpoints when we deploy the models into production, how to scale that, how to integrate it with downstream applications. All of these are elements of an MLOps, let's say, process. And it varies. It's important to note that it varies organization by organization. Not every, not a sing, There's no single MLOps process that can be applied across all organizations. Every organization will have different let's say scales internally, different AI capabilities, different structure in terms of how they are structured structured as an organization. So all of these factors will will dictate of how MLOps how an MLPs process is implemented and, and scaled within their organization. So it, it varies quite dramatically in that sense. my journey started back in 2017, 18 uh, so you, as you can imagine, it's quite quite new from a from a timeline perspective. But it started quite quite unconventionally, actually, from a technological tech, tech stack, if you if you will. I was using at the time some some tech stack that a traditional data scientist or a machine learning engineer could potentially not use to put such a system in production. I was I was working for Oracle at the time. So we were using, obviously, Cloudera Hadoop at the time, which was usually the go-to technology for any big data workloads. Spark was almost like being introduced at the time as, as the go-to platform and replacer for Hadoop-type workloads. But we had, obviously, Hadoop, Cloudera Hadoop supporting Spark as well. So I was working with a financial services company who with their insights management department. So they were... Selling these individual savings accounts, stocks and shares savings accounts to their customers and they wanted to understand, you know, which customers would buy, for example, a stocks and shares ISA versus an individual savings account and what contributed to that buying decision. So they, they built a logistic regression, very simple logistic regression model, and they were at the point where they wanted to productionize that, automate the retraining, automate the testing automate the deployment and deploy the model as an endpoint so, they, so their applications can call it. So that's how I started my MLOps journey. And from then on, I've been helping many organizations adopt AI and ML in production using, obviously, Microsoft technology stack nowadays and open source as well, and not just proprietary technologies, of course. That's, that's from my side. Maybe I'll pass it to the, next, to the next speaker.
0: Yeah, thanks. And this is a great intro to MLOps as well. If you guys want to know, I've like, ha- already had a, a bit of a pick of what is MLOps and, of course, great story, Fatos. We can go over to Aito and your story with MLOps. How did you get started into this world?
2: So my story gets started in 2015, I guess. I've read a Google paper with the title Hidden Technical Debt in Machine Learning Systems, while working in my master's degree at Mackenzie Presbyterian University. that I was working with natural language processing and a lot of contextual features trying to solve gender expression discovery within anonymous textual data, a data product that we've created, which ended up being used by our federal police here in Brazil to track high-risk profiles in social media during the Olympics and the... other big events here in Brazil. And since then I've been an FD user and advocate of this intersection of MLOps and data quality governance such as Fatu's already mentioned. It.
0: This is amazing, great stories guys. And I know you guys mentioned a little bit about the DevOps relation to MLOps. And I, I want to know next from you guys, from people here who might not be so familiar with MLOps or perhaps DevOps in general, but they know it might be something that they like to study, they're still wondering if this is a good area for them to follow or trying to dive a bit deeper than they already have. Can you guys share a bit of the difference between DevOps and MLOps? Also explaining a bit better what is MLOps and what is it used for? So who wants to to go for this next question?
2: So Fatu has already introduced a little bit about MLOps I guess that MLOps nowadays is part of a bigger thing. It's a, it's a culture where we mainly try to set some practices which aim to deploy and maintain our machine learning models in production, visiting reliability, efficiency. I think nowadays is part of something that we call continuous development. I guess that that figure of that's the DevOps for machine learning is no longer the case. We have a, a bigger thing right now. And also it deals with governance. It deals with data quality. Um, I, I guess Mickey has her rent erased. So I'll finish here.
1: Yeah, I think he made a really great point about how it's it's not just about tooling so for example like similarities between mlops and devops so mlops it's all about so okay so mlops it's much like when devops came out it's not about tools but it's a collection of best practices it's a it's a it's about how do you organize your teams it's about how do you integrate tooling in such a way that you achieve an outcome and that Outcome ultimately is how do you get more models to production faster and such that they don't break and they're not causing like havoc or chaos? That's ultimately what it is. So, if you are an MLOps engineer, you are building tools and you are setting practices, you're standardizing such that you can help data scientists or ML engineers achieve that goal. MLOps, it's not, it, it's very much so an, an enablement role there's also a trend that has come from for example DevOps about this idea of a platform as a as a product or platform as a service and this idea of platform teams so yeah so I so that's kind of where I'll kind of leave it there there are some differences though in that you can have a company that oddly enough does not really do anything with ML or ML is sort of like adjacent to it's it's like part of the product but it's not their core thing and for them you know, for you can have a company that have has a DevOps set up that doesn't do ML. You can have a company that does ML, but maybe their ML ops like stack is a little bit light. And then you can have companies who you know ML is a huge part of their product and a huge part of their value prop. And so for them, they need something that's a little bit a little bit more heavy. But you know, the really fun area, the fun, the fun aspect of ML ops is unlike the modern unlike data engineering or analytics engineering with the modern data stack, we haven't really figured out what the dominant pattern is. Like, not really. There is no, like, modern ML ops stack. And more importantly, it's so dependent on what a team or organization is doing to really, like, to do well that there's a lot of entry points for people with different experiences. But more importantly, it ta- it takes a lot of different skill sets. Very kind of similar to when DevOps first came out. Like, yeah, it's good if you know, like, networking. It's good if you know how to use, like, Kubernetes and Docker. But you also have to understand, like, the, like, ML lifecycle. And I do feel like this is where I see, like, engineers with more, like, traditional backgrounds in, like, networking or on the DevOps side. They they really trip up sometimes in creating, like, really great APIs and experiences. Because they they haven't maybe built models before. And they don't understand, like, the iterative nature of it.
0: Absolutely. And, and I know that in previous... Oh, go ahead, Fedos. I interrupted you.
3: No, no, no. Go ahead, please.
0: I was just going to go for the nice next question. So if you have something to add here, go ahead. No, I think, I think
3: it, was, it was all said. I think uh, Miki and uh, they both made some great points. I think it's not, just, it's not just a technical endeavor. You have to also work closely with the business, with your operations team. And the, this is a collaboration effort in any organization if they want to be effective and successful with, with MLOps. And you have to be clear about what the outcomes of your MLOps initiatives will be, right? So things like faster time to production, optimization of resources, as I mentioned, reproducibility, predictability, consistency across experiments, these are key key kind of elements that you must meet. And nowadays, I just want to add is that you know i've seen I've seen companies implementing MLOps processes with 30, 40 technology technology stacks, like in terms of different technologies. whether that's for, version controlling code or registering models or training models or deploying infrastructure they they have usually 20 to 30 different types of tools to do that sometimes can, that can be quite overwhelming for organizations that are completely new to this field so that's that's sometimes a challenge and obviously platform as a service vendors out there who offer technology suites around this space like i don't know microsoft amazon google Shakudo, and others are trying to alleviate some of the aspects of that of that whole of that whole end-to-end lifecycle, with model registries, with feature stores, with, with infrastructure as code templates to or accelerators to help you speed up the deployment of a you know simple-to-use MLOps process. Because some, sometimes these are these are immense challenges that companies face whenever they're endeavoring into this field. That, I just wanted to add that, but yeah.
0: No, yeah, great points being made. I think it's so important for you to know that your model works up front, like you're getting what you need from your data. You're bringing value before putting into a a whole, a huge stack of services or like a huge MLOps infrastructure to do something that you you don't even know like if it might work. So, yeah, great points. I'd also like to to talk about MLOps best practices because this is such a, a huge part of it right so if you guys can give me like some examples of challenges you have that if you don't apply mlops or, or just completely ignore some concepts of mlops you have you're gonna have like some problems in developments in the deployments like challenges you go through with it like why should i care about mlops existence at all and what can go wrong if i don't
3: yeah, maybe I could go. Uh, so one thing we've noticed at Microsoft where we work with multiple customers in this field is that sometimes customers start, as I mentioned earlier, with quite a lot of technical depth in this space, or they, or they, let's say, approach this whole problem from a monolithic type approach. What do I, what do I mean by that? Is that they don't separate clear responsibilities across teams and technology stacks. What we're currently or nowadays recommending to our customers is to separate abilities across teams. So you have, for example, teams like ML engineers, you have data scientists, you have in the infrastructure team, and all of these teams have potentially different responsibilities when it comes to implementing MLOps practices. And I think it's important from a organizational perspective to separate the duties across these teams and to ensure that each team can work effectively, but also in collaboration with each, with each other, and of, of course, respond to business objectives and, and, and key deliverables that the business wants to meet. And usually what I'm seeing also is that we're relying more and more these days on YAML templates. Is The whole MLOps field is becoming almost like a, a YAML as a service, I, I usually call it sometimes. You have infrastructure as code templates, which is YAML based. You have data science code templates, which essentially hosts all your data science code. And then you have the MLOps code template, which kind of tie these two together. So you yeah, have the MLOps code that almost like acts as a controller between your data science code, which is where the data scientist's sweet spot is. They don't have to worry about infrastructure. They don't have to worry about MLOps processes. All they have to worry about is building the best model that they can using their you know, data science processes, like whether, whether whatever methodology they're using. And then the infrastructure team manages the whole aspect of infrastructure environment deployments across dev tests and prod potentially and then the mlops team focuses on elements such as retraining model deployments potentially some infrastructure involved as well in there such as scalability of those models and ab you know ab testing plus kind of endpoint the endpoints themselves and ensuring that you have load balancers in place to handle the scale of data that comes through the through the endpoints so i think you have to really make sure that you clear the responsibilities and the duties across these teams and make it very visible to them. I'll let the other two speakers comment on this as well.
0: Yeah, I, I love those things you brought up. I think like, I'll let you guys speak as well, Mickey and Ariton, but also to say, something I always like to say is like, let's let the data scientists do data science. Like the data sciences are like extremely expensive and you, you don't want to kind of like waste their time on something that they were not even trained to do when you could like have a specialized person trained to do that much faster and much more efficiently. So this is kind of like the importance of separating those teams, like having everyone do their own tasks, facilitate the communication between them and having like the data scientist do data science and the MLOps engineer do MLOps. Mickey,
1: go ahead. Over to you. Yeah, I mean, it's something like, that drives me nuts. It's like every single time, like, notebooks come up in the conversation, like, oh, should data scientists use notebooks? I, and in my head, I'm always like, why are you telling them, like, what IDE to use? Like, seriously. It's something that annoys me a lot. And I feel like it's one of these conversations people just bring up on LinkedIn all the time. But anyway, so yeah, I'm also a big fan. Like, let data, let data scientists use the tools they need to. On the ML Ops side. so I think, and this is something I've been thinking very deeply about, Because, so for example, when people first started hiring data scientists, right, there's a lot of conversation about, well, what's the ROI of data science? Well, how do we, you know, hire data scientists? How do we scale them? How do we organize data science teams? And I think that's kind of coming up too in the ML space. So I feel like one of the biggest mistakes we, so one of the biggest mistakes, like, we can make. I'm, I'm going to talk about, like, MLOps as a team or an organization. I mean, there's a lot of mistakes people can make with ML. But with MLOps specifically, number one is forcing data scientists to use your internal platform. So I've been thinking about this a lot in terms of, like, platform as a product and, you know, this idea of, like, if your your platform should be so good that you shouldn't have to really kind of force people to use it. Data scientists should should want to use it to do, like their machine learning projects to like standardize their pipelines. The second thing that I think we kind of screw up on as, a, as MLOps engineers that we kind of screw up on sometimes is we, we don't focus on like the high value parts of the pipeline in our respective companies or orgs. So a lot of MLOps engineers, they, and teams, they try to start with this big vision of, we're going to create the ultimate platform internally. And I've seen some like early stage startups do this, like pre-seed where, you know, they maybe only have like three or four months. They can't pay most of their engineers and they're going, oh, we need to build a separate ML platform. It's like, why, why the hell would you do that? Go build your, your product, go sell, like go get money. I need someone who's doing this for a marketplace. And I'm like, they're like, we, we're going to, we're going to be doing, you know, more than 10 models and they need to be ML streaming and, oh, and, and, and they're like online service and ML streaming. And we're going to use all these tools and we have this vision and I'm like, okay, so when do you need all this by? And they're like a month. And I'm like, okay, how many engineers do you have? And they're like, well, we got like five like ML researchers and we got like one backend and one front end engineer. And it's like, okay, this is totally ridiculous. Like are you even paying your people right now? What's going on? And I was like, well, what's your main product stack? And they're like, Oh, we're using X, Y, Z. It's like, okay, well, you know, first get some models out the door for like a marketplace The dumbest recommendation model you could do, as long as you have great listings, like no one's gonna notice. They could literally have a bunch of like a thousand amazing listings, randomly send it off to people, like randomly send off five to people, like based off their requirements, and everyone would say like, oh my god, this is an amazing recommendation model. Like no one would really be able to tell the difference, at least in the early stages, right? So I think that's something that like it's good to have a vision for mlops and it's also really great to have like it's it's great to have a point of view and opinions about what best practices people should be using so for example yes like testing checking code you know mocking data you know testing that your model predictions are kind of in line with what, with what you would expect making sure that you have retraining these are these are all really great practices but the kinds of choices people make in terms of how to how do they implement mlops I think really plays a part in how successful it is and, and how it gets adopted, and definitely like antagonizing your data scientists and like really getting in their way of like creating kind of products is is kind of like not the best way to go. I mean, yeah. So that's I that's what I've been thinking about a lot recently. Is like, yes, we have all these DevOps tools, and we have you know people with some particular expertise and being able to pull them together. But is that is that really providing the value that it that it could be to organizations? And my suspicion is that we're still very immature on the ML space and that we need to kind of mature more to where we're being beginning to think about to where like small companies that aren't like DoorDash, Airbnb, Google or Apple are able to think about, you know, what's the vision for where they want their data science and machine learning efforts to be. And then what's a very realistic like roadmap to get there, even with like dreaming big oh this is
0: so so nice for you to say because I also totally agree. Like no one cares the stack you use to build your product if it's good enough, right? If if it's not making the customer or the client life more difficult, then go for it. It doesn't matter if it's like a super simple stack or if it has like over forty different tools, like Fatos was saying, the problem it, it is important for you to solve the problem, that's, that's the thing. Ayrton, do you want to share any final thoughts on this topic before we move to the next? Yeah,
2: so similar to DevOps or DataOps approaches, Ops usually, at least the initiatives that I'm more familiar, they usually seek to increase automation and improve the quality, the the models that they are producing. But they usually are not focusing on business or paying attention to regulatory requirements as part of their MOOps initiatives and pipelines. Basically, if you have any process that deals with any kind of machine learning model, such as A B testing or any infrastructure scalability orchestrating the different phases of ML projects, such as data ingestion, validation, preparation, training, evaluation, deployment, whatever, if you have this well-defined and a repeatable workflow, it can boost the productivity of your overall machine learning pipeline. I think that's the, the biggest advantage while using machine learning ops. While M-Ops started as the set of best practices that we already talked about, it is slowly evolving into an independent approach to this ML lifecycle. So it should be part of the entire data software lifecycle from integrating with the model generation, orchestrations, deployment, health, diagnostics, etc. And I recommend beginners in ML to know and use DevOps because it usually promotes the existence of this structured code base and it creates a way to reproduce ML. In a more constant way, building steps, this ML building steps.
0: Yeah, amazing. Totally agree. And we're gonna go over to the beginners in a moment. If you're in the audience and you wanna ask any questions to us, our speakers, just leave them in the comments of the linked tweet on this spaces, and I'll ask them where you you put there. So yeah. So the title of the spaces is how to begin. With MLOps, so I assume we have a lot of people, beginners in MLOps or just perhaps mid-level people. And I, my next question for you guys is, what are some key concepts those people should learn if they're just getting started with MLOps or just at the beginning? of the learning process. What are some important things to learn first and how this was for you? What path did you take? Like, which things did you learn first that you considered to be most important? Or even you just learned at the end or just yesterday and you think like, wow, this is super important and I didn't know about it. I wish I knew this earlier. So who wants to take this next question, over to you, Mickey.
1: So I think the first thing to understand about ML ops is your serving patterns. So, for example, like the conversation I had with that startup, they were saying we need streaming and online predictions, and that is a little bit odd. Some people don't understand that they're they're not mutually exclusive. Like you can have a a, a machine learning model that is returning. Like predictions like on streaming but you can also have a machine learning model that is also like essentially returning like every time you do an api call it returns a prediction there right so that's the first thing that people should understand is what are the serving patterns you have available to you the second part to understand is what are the different ways you can package models and that's kind of related to serving patterns but so for example you can package it as a a python library or or as a library you can pa- you can package it up as a container most services end up being containers anyway but that's something to really kind of think about and then i'd say the third thing to and so there's like batch there's on there's online and there's a there's edge and there's a few others so streaming packaging and then the third part to understand i think is this phrase, cattle, not pets. So ultimately, as an MLOps engineer, you're not working on models. You are creating tools and infrastructure and platforms to help other people develop models and to ship those models, right? So one of the best things you can do, there is a website called Made with ML. They have an ops course there. There's a couple on Udemy as well that are really really good. But ultimately, what you want is you want to have some dummy models, and then your first project should be like play around with some of the different like stacks or tool chains, and then try to see if you can essentially like develop or deploy those models using those like stack or t- stacks or tool chains, and see that you can see if you can make that model like either using a Streamlit app or or you know whatever tools out there see that you can expose that model's predictions or expose that model such that people can use it. I'd say those are like the, th- the three kind of core ideas or concepts to, to really like understand, like you are not creating the model, you are helping other people create models.
0: Yeah, I love this. And I just left the link for the website Mickey referred on the description of the pinned tweet. So if you want to go for it afterwards, it's there. And thank you so much, Miki. Do you guys want to also add something to what Miki said here?
2: Yeah. Go for it. Okay. So as Miki already said, the span of MLOps in machine learning projects can be as focused or as expensive as you wish. In certain cases, MLOps can encompass everything from the data pipeline to model production. In other projects, MLOps implementation is more for the deployment process. So if I can encompass the the components of MLOps, I guess it should be an EDA exploring data analysis, data preparation, feature engineering, modeling and training and turning of models, the review and governance of models, model monitoring, I guess. When we talk about MLOps, usually you trying to get things done to 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 auxiliate the people who will, in fact, be making models will be developing their
3: models. Cool. So I think I think most most of it has been said to be honest. As 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 Mickey said and as we pointed out earlier, there has to be that clear distinction between the roles that you're that you're concerned about. So if you're a data scientist, obviously you, you shouldn't be worried about MLOP's practices. That is the job of, ML, of an ml engineer but if you're an ml engineer and you want or you're starting in this route and you're thinking about okay what should i go and learn next that link that mickey posted is a great potentially starting point one thing i would like to emphasize though is that large companies organizations from all, all sizes actually are adopting adapt, cloud more and more whether that's gcp Google cloud whether that's amazon aws whether that's microsoft azure some of these platforms, these vendors have, have platform technologies or platform services that can help you mitigate or alleviate some of the pain points around MLOps. So one of the things that they do is reduce the stack overload on you as an ML engineer, so you don't have to think about implementing every possible ML capa- MLOps capability out there from scratch or using or stitching tools together. Which, is, which can be a nightmare. And the other thing is that it, it will enable you to, to deliver value for the business much, much faster, which is ultimately the key goal here of any organization. Whenever they say, we want to adopt MLOps, they don't, they're not going to say, we want to spend two years trying to develop this MLOps process so that we can start you know, getting some value after two years. We want to deliver something fast. And that fast can, can be equivalent to something very expensive. Or if you're smart and, and know how to combine technologies together to best to get the best out of these technologies, you might want to take an approach where you, let's say, leverage some existing toolkits out there or some existing platforms out there from cloud vendors, the, the, like the ones that I mentioned. And it's not this is not me trying to sell it, but this is me, what I've seen in the markets, people trying to do it themselves completely from scratch. It's a nightmare and technologies change every day. So... How can you keep, that, keep up with all of those advancements and all of those changes? And one thing I would also like to say is, which is really, really interesting, we're moving into a, a world where we are leveraging and consuming more and more pre-trained models, which reduces potentially the need for a lot of the ML practices that we are used to in the custom, I'm going to call it custom ML, which is building models from scratch. Think about cognitive services, which are models that have been pre-trained on large corpuses of data and that are made available to you as a simple REST API endpoint that you can call and integrate within your applications. Think of technologies nowadays like OpenAI's GPT-3, which can do quite a lot of language tasks, albeit with quite a lot of weird and interesting hallucinations that you might have to cater for, but still useful. So think about think about how the field is moving and maybe think about where you want your skills development to be focused on because a lot of the field is moving towards those kind of pre-trained models. That's not to say that we are completely leaving off the custom ML aspect entirely. We're just saying that there's quite a lot of companies out there deploying these models as a service and making them available to you as REST API endpoints. And there there are MLOps practices that you can apply against those as well because you still have to potentially fine tune them with your own data, retrain them as, as time goes on, and you have to manage that whole process end to end as well. So still, MLOps will be relevant for those, but just think about that as well as, a, as another element to, to this whole process.
0: Oh, you touched on a great point there, Fatos. And it was actually going to be my last question, but I'm just gonna ask it right now because we're talking about it already. And it is, how is generative AI bringing more challenges or facilitating the work of MLOps people but most importantly, what's the toughest part of building those models from scratch? And how can you take advantage of them in general? Like we know, we know that there is like the ChatGPT API who's being used for be, doing a lot of different models out there. We can see AI being used almost everywhere this year, which is really incredible. And yeah, what's the MLOps point of view in all of these generative AI changes going on? who'd like to take this question, or I can just pick one of you. (laughs) Go ahead,
1: Mickey. So I think it comes back down to value. Like, what's the business value that data scientists are, like, like, what's the business value that data scientists are, are providing the business? And in terms of MLOps, like, how do we support and facilitate that? I think, like, two two areas that like it does sort of specifically bring up in my head or two questions is like one i do kind of like i like i see the need for streaming at the like for a gen ai company if you're working on a consumer app for example or a consumer facing application i'm but besides gaming and video like in my head i have a hard time like figuring out like okay what what really kind of needs like streaming at like the ml inference level so i think gen AI brings up an interesting question there and that's important because that does impact or affect like the underlying kind of tool options so for example if someone wanted to use like Redis enterprise which is like really really kind of pricey normally they wouldn't be able to justify it i think unless their company was heavily involved in streaming but on the other hand, like, let's say, for example, you're a company that hasn't done streaming, but you have one or two products that, like, provide a, a lot of revenue for the company. Then it's like, it's not like, oh, one out of every five, like, one one out of all, one, one out of all five of our products as a company is only streaming, but it's the, oh, 20 million out of our, you know, 30, 30 million or $25 million revenue per year is, like, with a streaming product. So essentially, like, what, yeah, like, how how important is that? So that's, like, one area that it, it kind of brings up in my head, but also, too, like, essentially sometimes you'll see these, like, really, really big ML platforms and it's it's a question of, like, do, you, do we really need that? So I do think sometimes like, as, like, all engineers do this, like, resume-driven development, and I think as, like, ML ops engineers, it's very kind of easy to go down that hole of, like, resume-driven development, but there's also the, like, is that the right way to go about it like if you're working as an ml ops engineer for your data science team regardless of whether or not it's gen ai or not gen ai so those are things that I, like I, I think about
0: yeah th- those are great points indeed those are not cheap technologies at all and i do you want to add something here as well
2: like hey there so uh, basically when you when you talk about ml ops Usually, there's another thing that people don't care about, that's about security. With these bigger models and etc., the security tools in most software development platforms are not designed to detect, for example, adversarial attacks, data poisoning, and other, other types of threats against ML models. So I think that the, the biggest change we will have about MLOps. Ops will be this focus on security on on business when 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 we try to value mops for business needs
3: no longer about technology yeah i think that that's a very good point actually the whole aspect of adversarial machine learning is something that i think should be always included in a architecture diagram even I would go as far as that to kind of make sure that your models are protected against techniques like data poisoning as Rule said. So Definitely have that in consideration. I would say to your question, Sabrina, it's around generative AI and what the implications of generative AI are, or in MLops as a, as a field. I would I would not I would just not classify it as generative AI. I was actually classified as pre trained models because they kind of fall under the same category, if you will. And I would mm-hmm. then make the distinction about you know the difference between pre trained models and custom built models from scratch, and how that how those two kind of streams, let's say, correspond to each of the MLops. Processes or or areas or or practices. So, from if you look at it, if I break it down into like maybe four or five stages. So, the data required. So, the, from a data requirement perspective, you know, pre-trained models obviously have been trained on massive amounts of corpus data, right? So, large amounts of corpus data. So, you ne- you don't have to necessarily do as an as an ML engineer. You don't have to worry about potentially retraining these models very often or or let's say a valid cross performing such techniques such as cross-validation and so on and so forth. So you don't have to worry about your data scientists doing some something like that a lot. Of course there is fine tuning involved. So that is again very limited in terms of the requirements from a data perspective. So less complex than what I would say custom-built models. From a model selection hyperparameter tuning perspective, for example, you don't have to spend quite a lot of time in there as well. Whereas with custom-built models, for example, you have to go through a whole heap of model selection exercises where you have to try multiple models, potentially try three or four models in parallel to to see which one performs the best, do hyperparameter tuning for each one of them. And sometimes that can not maybe complicate the MLOps process itself, but it can, it can make it a little bit more involved from a Let's say ABT testing perspective, or or endpoint deployment perspective. If you want, for example, to test those individual models with your user base evaluation. Again, some of these pre-trained models are being offered in embedded into cloud services, and from an evaluation perspective, they offer tools embedded in those in those models that are pre-trained. So you don't have to spend a lot of time in running custom code to to train to test those models because they have been they've undergone quite a lot of heavy testing and evaluation already. So I think there, there there, are some areas that these pre-trained models are, let's say, bringing to the table in terms of alleviating the life of an ML engineer as well. Because, you know, what we don't want to do is we don't want to make, just because the data scientist job has to be simple and has to be confined within the data science world, we don't want to now make the life of an ML engineer extremely painful, you know, with hundreds of tools and hundreds of practices and and hundreds of things to think about and also think about the business and all these things. I think we have to make their life as easy as possible so that we can arrive at that ultimate outcome, which is what both speakers said, which is the business value. What is the business value that you're trying to to achieve here with this, with these, all with all of these endeavors? So I think pre-trained models, generative models which fall under that umbrella are helping in that respect. Uh, Of course, there's concerns with all of these models being used in production, and you have to put the necessary guardrails to protect yourself against those potential problems and issues. But they're definitely, from an operational perspective, they're definitely making it easier, both life of a data scientist and ML engineer as well.
0: Well, I love this. And you guys are sharing such amazing insights for people who are just beginning with MLOps and honestly, people who are even more experienced with MLOps as well. Those are very incredible tips to have. And we're wrapping this episode up here. I'd just like to pass it over to you guys to some final tips or final things you'd like to say before we close this off. Mickey, would you like to go first?
1: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think at the end of the day, like as kind of everyone has pointed out on the call, it's a, it's important to be aware of the trends that are going on. It's important to learn the adjacent skills. So. Yeah, I've never heard anyone say like, God, I wish I didn't, God, I wish I was, I wasn't such a good engineer. Like I've never, ever heard anyone say that. I have heard plenty of people say like, God, I wish I knew how like Git worked and oh, I wish I knew how to write like really great code and I wish I knew how to test it and I, I wish I knew how to retrain stuff. So learn, le- you know, if you're interested, really interested in going to ML Ops engineering, it's not always about like the fancy peripherals. It's, it's literally understanding like, okay, at every single stage of the ML lifecycle, how would I build or unblock and then the second thing I would also add is yes it's important it's actually less important to frankly understand the math behind models because at the end of the, at the end of the day like a lot of like us folks who like build platforms for people who do models or people who use models we end up treating it like an input output box anyway so understand all the the don't worry about the math like behind deep learning but worry about writing good code worry about writing good code worry about deploying that code on the cloud, and worry about how you're going to roll back stuff if things break. So that's most most important stuff to understand.
0: Yeah, thank you so much, Miki, and thank you for agreeing to be here. You guys want to share your final thoughts as well?
2: Well, thanks everyone who stayed with us in this Twitter spaces. I will add, one more thing to to make his list: never rely completely on a single metric. It was one of my errors when I was a beginner in MLOps. Maybe I would just
3: add that it's good to understand also the different patterns from when it comes to you know machine learning patterns such as NLP, computer vision, reinforcement learning. I think it's good to have a high level understanding of how these patterns work end to end, and then see. As you learn these MLOps, let's say skills, see how you can apply those skills across those patterns because sometimes there are some variations in terms of the data input, the data output, and how you integrate that whole that you know, that whole aspect of, of those patterns within the MLOps framework. So I would I would also suggest that you read upon that as well. And I'll post I'll post a link on the on the tweet here on the space as a reply to a resource on GitHub where you can see how you can implement those patterns from an MLOPS perspective as well. And that's it for myself.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Please do photos and you guys can go and check the comments for some resources shared here in the talk. Thank you so much for everyone in the audience today. And thank you so much for the speakers. This has been an amazing talk and I learned a lot myself. And yeah, thank you so much. See you on the next Big Data Small Talk. Bye bye.